So if, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to look at the first 13 verses. Um, the title of my message is Admonishing Examples, and you'll see why it's right there, kind of in the text. Um, Roman had a, a, a blowout week, and he gave me this opportunity, and I'm so thankful for that. Uh, I get to play the color commentator to his blow-by-blow, blow, and you'll see a little bit of that today. Color commentator is one who insists the main play-by-play -play commentator, typically by filling in when play is not in progress, a person who is referred to as a summarizer outside of North America, or an analyst, a term throughout the English-speaking world. The color analyst and main commentator offer and exchange comments freely through, throughout the broadcast. I'm not expecting that from you, Roman. <laughs> um, when the main commentator is not describing the action, the color commentator provides expert analysis, background information, such as statistics, strategy, injury reports, on the team's athletes and occasional anecdotes and light humor. Um, so I'm the color commentator today. Um, we're in the book of Corinthians. Corinthians was, uh, the church in Corinth was established by Paul in his second missionary journey. He's traveling with Silas. Um, and it's a messianic congregation, both Jews and Gentiles together. The initial leaders were Paul and Silas. Aquila and Priscilla are here. Timothy arrives here. And um, I believe later Apollos comes in um, after he had established the, converse, uh, the congregation because you see in the beginning of this letter that there are factions within the church. Now the church was, had all, the, all of these amazing gifts. They were very, very uh, in in tune with the spirit, but they also had a lot of problems, right? There were factions in the church. Some said, I'm of Paul. Some said, I'm of Apollos. Some said, I'm of Jesus, the more spiritual ones. And, and Paul, throughout this letter, is dealing with issues in the church, some really, really bad issues. And, and, and in 1 Corinthians 10, he comes to this place where he, he points backwards um, to show him some things and make some connections out of the Hebrew scriptures and to exhort them by those things. And he finishes this, this paragraph, if you will, with a tremendous promise that's open to us. And it, it's really important for our day-to-day -day lives. So let's start by reading um, the text of 1 Corinthians 10, verses, the first 13 verses. Moreover, brethren... I do not want you to be unaware that our, all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as some of them were. Uh, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the age, ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation is overtaken to you, except such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not, will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but, will, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And you can hear that promise at the end. Um, so he starts out by saying that he desires not something. 
Paul's looking at their lives, and he wants them to not be something. And that thing that he is not well pleased to see in their life is to be unaware. And that, that word is agnoeo, which is to be ignorant, to be mistaken, not to not recognize something. All right, so there's a bit of a double negative there, right? He wants them to not not recognize something, which is a positive. He wants them to recognize something, right? So he's very concerned that they're unaware. And, and I thought this was a great thing to do because it connects the, the, the dots with the Hebrew scriptures that we know less, you know, in depth, some of us, with our current situation. And so we're going to connect the Hebrew scriptures to the New Testament Greek scriptures to our lives, hopefully, and see some things that God wants us to see. So I'm kind of stepping into the mantle of Paul, and I'm going to tell you what Paul said, but I'm going to take it beyond what Paul's, Paul said to try and look at our own lives. So that's the beginning here, right? And he starts out, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unawares that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all, dr all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ, right? So he connects Christ with that rock. And there's a whole rabbinic tradition there, about, you know, did the rock really follow them all the way through the desert? I don't believe that, but God was always with them. So let's take a look at the, the beginnings, right? All of this starts with the Passover in Egypt, right? God sent Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Let my son come out to me. Right? And we know that they're instilled by that ultimatum, because it was a command to Pharaoh, a war between God, the only true living God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, right, and the God Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. And all ten plagues were specifically volleys of artillery from the one true living God against the gods of Egypt. The last one being directly aimed at Pharaoh, who says, I'm a god, right? So it began with the whole Passover lamb, right? And they were commanded to kill a lamb and to strike the lintels of the doorposts and... and um, the, the lintel and the two doorposts, and to eat the Passover dinner. And we know that the Passover dinner was instituted as an annual, annual feast, the first feed, feast of the religious year, and they were to repeat it every year and teach their children, right? Very big event. This is the inauguration, the first piece of the covenant of Sinai. And as we follow this picture of Passover through the scriptures, we get to Isaiah 53, and we find that Messiah is the Passover offering that was prefigured back in Egypt. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that connects with Jesus in the Greek New Testament, and to the point where the night before he was sacrificed on Golgotha, he had Passover with his disciples. And he took the bread and he said, this bread, this matzah, is my body, which is broken for you. And he took the cup, the third cup, the cup after supper, the cup of redemption, and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant in my blood. He's cutting the covenant. And he cut that on the execution stake or the cross on Golgotha. And that new covenant, we, we know, because I've repeated this to you several times, is talked about in, in um, Jeremiah 31. It's talked about in Ezekiel 36. 
and it's talked about in the book of Hebrews, right? And God said, I will give you a new spirit, a new, a, a new spirit, new mind, new spirit, new human body, and a new spirit, and I will put my spirit in you. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I will be your God and you will be my people. I will forgive all your sins, right? So there's a connection between the Passover and what we're going to talk about in the text of Exodus and what Jesus did on the cross and what we do when we pick up Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For all who call upon the Lord will be saved. So I want to give you some background about what happened in Passover. This is extra biblical. This is from Oriental, Near East Oriental culture, right? Um, but it informs us as to what happened. Because they were told, hey, take a lamb, sacrifice the lamb, and do this with the blood. How did they know what to do? Well, maybe it's because God told them to do something that was very familiar in their culture, and maybe they didn't do it themselves, or maybe they did, but God appropriated this ancient tradition, this Near East tradition, and made it significant for them. So here's a quote out of a book called The Threshold Covenant. It's a few chapters long. Hopefully it'll be up with the, the video, um, and it's just an excerpt. How the significance of the Hebrew Passover rite stands out in light of this primitive custom, the Threshold Covenant. It is not that this rite had its origin in the days of the Hebrew exodus from Egypt, but that Jehovah then and there emphasized the meaning and sacredness of this rite already familiar to the Orientals. In dealing with his chosen people, God did not invent a new rite or ceremonial at every stage of his progressive revelation to them. But he took a rite which, which they, had, they were already familiar, and he gave it a new and deeper significance in its new use and relations. Long before that day, a covenant welcome was given to a guest who was to become one of the family or to a bride or bridegroom in marriage, by pouring, by the outpouring of blood on the threshold of the door and by the staining of the doorway itself with a blood of covenant. And now Jehovah announced that he was to visit Egypt on a designated night and that those who would welcome him should prepare a threshold covenant or a Passover sacrifice as proof of that welcome. For there for where no such welcome was made ready for him by the family, he must count that household an enemy. In announcing this desire for a welcoming sacrifice by the Hebrews, God spoke of it as Jehovah's Passover or Yahweh's Passover, as if the Passover rite was a familiar one, which was now to be observed as a welcome for Jehovah. Moses, in reporting the Lord's message to the Hebrews, did not speak of the proposed sacrifices, something of which they knew nothing until now. But he first said to them, draw out and take you lambs according to your families and kill the Passover, or the threshold crossover. And then he added details of specific instruction for this new use of this old rite. In furtherance of this purpose, the Lord asked for the sacrifice of the threshold crossover by the Hebrews, quote, for the Lord will pass through the land to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Hebrew homes, the Lord will pass over or cross over or through the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come into the houses to smite you. Obviously, the figure here employed is of a sovereign accompanied by his executioner, a familiar figure in the ancient East. When he comes to a house marked by tokens of, welcome, of the welcoming covenant, the sovereign will covenant cross that threshold and enter the home as a guest or as a family member, a member of the family. 
but where no such preparation has been made for him, his executioner will enter on the mission of judgment. Now, there's, this is not biblical knowledge, but it informs what happened there. Here's a cultural thing that they knew about. So the blood really was, come in, be part of my family, I am welcoming you, or I don't know you, and someone's going to come in anyway. And for those who didn't welcome him, the firstborn of every household, from the donkey to the Pharaoh's child, died. Now that picture is something that we should understand when we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead. That is what we are saying to God when we ask him to save us. That we are making a covenant with him. That we are receiving the covenant he offers us to come in and be a member of our household. And literally, scripture says that he will put his spirit in us. And we are now literally or figuratively at least his temple walking around this world. Now, I don't know if you've thought that deep about that, but that's the picture. And that's the understanding as you study the scripture and study the culture. That's our life in Christ. And now Paul goes on. He doesn't, he doesn't pick up that point and show it to you in this passage, but it's, it's like the foundation of everything, right? Right? So he goes on and he says, um, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, right? They were all under the cloud. Let's start with the cloud. They were all under the cloud. Well, if you read in Exodus 23, 20 through 22, it says, behold, God said to them, behold, I will send an angel before you to keep you in the way, and to bring you into the place that I have prepared. Beware of him, and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your, your transgressions. For my name is in him. But if you'd indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Now, this angel that went before for them, as you follow that through the book of Exodus, appears as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And when they were camped, the pillar was over the, t the tent of meeting. And when the cloud went up, they packed up everything and they walked literally under the cloud because it protected them from the desert sun. Now, the, the, the Septuagint doesn't say, I send an angel. The Greek says, I send the angel before you. And if you notice, this angel has God's name in him. And it says in verse 22, if you indeed, in, uh, if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, so they're conflated, Right? There's like two persons here in the Godhead, and this is one of those passages where the angel of the Lord is separate from Jehovah or Yahweh, but they're conflated in their attributes and their function. So this is one of those passages in the Hebrew Scriptures that, that kind of says, hey, there's two powers here. There's two persons here. And his role is not to pardon them. So don't provoke him. So the question is, having cut that covenant with God, are you under his authority? Are you walking under the cloud? Is he your sovereign Lord, ruling and reigning in your life? There's a connection. And then they say that all were baptized into Moses. Now, that's really strange. But if you understand that Moses cut the Sinai covenant and Jesus cut 
the, co- the new covenant, then they were all, in a sense, baptized into Moses because of this passage in Romans chapter 6. It's not because it's in the Old Testament. Paul is making a stretch to make it fit what's in the New Testament. Romans 6 says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in grace, in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Absolutely not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do not you not know that as many as you who were baptized, what's the next word? Into Christ Jesus. Were baptized into his death. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even though we should walk in newness of life. So there's the connection between Passover and being baptized into Moses and that that covenant we made in Romans 10 with God. We are baptized into Christ. This is the exact picture that we saw when all those candidates for baptism not too long ago were baptized. This is why We do a baptistic tradition. We put them under the water and bring them up because baptizo literally means to put under. And it's a picture of dying in Christ and rising to newness of life. And then he makes this statement, and they all drank of the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And we know from two passages in the New Testament out of John that this is another connection with Messiah. In John 6, 35 through 41, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. There's food and drink, right? And note, I'm going to go through some more verses, and, and note this is just not his opinion. But I say to you that you you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So even Christ was following a cloud. This is the will of my Father who sent me, that all that he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. There's a promise. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So when you make that covenant with Christ, he promises he's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to cast you out. He will raise you up on the last day. Now, if you've never made that covenant with Christ, you've never welcomed him into your life, then you stand as an enemy in God's face. And an enemy that will be with God one day at a judgment seat. You know, both Christians and non-Christians or believers and non-believers all face a judgment seat. The unbeliever faces a judgment seat given at the end of Revelation. It's called the white throne judgment. And all from there are cast into the lake of fire. And those of us who believe face a judgment seat that's talked about in the 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's called the Bema seat of Christ. It's still a judgment and our works are judged, but we're, none of us are lost. Even if you have performed poorly, all will be saved, right? Those who have nothing to be rewarded will still be saved as yet by fire. So it's like you're going to be saved as if your home burnt down and all are ashes. But you'll still be there with him. So if you have never welcomed Christ, today's a day to do it. Today's A day to have that conversation. If you need to know more, talk to me afterward. Talk to Roman. Talk to one of the deacons. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Now, the the point I wanted to make with the last verse, it wasn't just Jesus' opinion. 
Then the Jews, now this is not all the Jews. When you read the Jews in the New Testament, you have to discern what's coming from the context. This is a particular segment of the Jewish ruling elders, right? Because we know Nicodemus believed and he was part of the Pharisees. So not even all the Jewish ruling elders were against Christ. But the Jews in this context are the ones who were opposing, the ones whom Christ got in their face, the ones whom Christ called them whited sepulchers, right? The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which comes down to heaven. They complained because he was saying, that picture of manna, that's me. And they didn't like that. And then if you go a bit, bit further into John 7, 37 and 38, on the last day of, the, of the, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So Jesus is the bread and Jesus is the water. And that perfectly dovetails with what Moses, with, uh, Paul is saying about Moses in the Old Testament. You see the connections? Right? There's a picture. Scripture is full of pictures and we need to understand them. Because they teach us things. So here's what Paul's concerned about. Paul's concerned, not that they didn't see the pictures. I'm concerned that you haven't ever seen this picture. Paul was not. The Jewish people understood this stuff, right? The Greeks, maybe not so much, right? And, he, and Paul is specifically calling all, all, all to inform the Greek people of the, the congregation at Corinth that they're part of the group, that they fit this, that they're in this situation too, right? So Paul goes on in verse 5. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in, scattered in, in, in the wilderness. Most of them, God did not think well about. He was displeased with them. God thought it was not good about them. Or that... It was not well-pleasing because he wanted well-pleasing. For, and, and that tells us the because, the ground of Paul's statement here, for their bodies were scattered throughout the, universe, the, the wilderness. Like where they traveled, literally, bodies dropped and were left unburied. That's the picture. Sometimes the mouth of the earth opened up and closed up over them. Now, this is a very, very cool passage to be looking at right now because of where we are in our church reading. And I know Roman keeps telling us, read with along with us. Come to small groups. And Mo, um, Roman is that, that coach that's telling you all about the basics of the game that you've been playing for years, right? So some of you are new to the faith, and you need to know that reading your Bible, let me put it this way. Jesus said, or John said of Jesus, he is the word of God, right? In the beginning was the word, the logos. And the word was with God, separate from God. And the word was God, John 1, 1. We also know that the Word is inspired by the Holy Spirit and it's written down for us. So this is like a representation of God to us. It is a spiritual book. Scripture says that it's alive and it's discerning about our heart, the thoughts and intents of our heart. So when you come to this book and you're reading, you're coming to the face of God, as it were, and reading God's Word. Scripture calls this bread. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that God speaks. 
So, how many of you go several days without eating on a regular basis? Physically. Does anybody regularly go without food like two or three days a week, four days a week, month at a time? How many of you do that with God's word? And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. If you're not in the word, you're starving yourself spiritually. Be in the word. Read the word. Meditate on the word. Memorize the word. Talk about the word. Out of it come the issues of life. And why is this important? We just read all of the stuff that happened in Exodus, right? And we're now reading along with the end of Exodus and the, and the beginning of Acts, Proverbs, which is God's book of wisdom to you, to teach you, to give you understanding, to keep you from falling. And then we're going to go to the book of Numbers, which picks up the story that started with the, with the calf and all of that, and shows how the Israelites tested God ten times. And finally God said, that's enough. For every day that you spied out the land and you refuse to follow me, you're going to walk in, in the desert for a year. It's important because we don't want to be walking in the desert for as long as we're disobeying God. One year for every day. Can you understand why this is admonishing examples? He was not well pleased and they were scattered. Literally, to scatter over the ground, to be killed, to die and be left unburied is the, the Greek word there. Now we get to the meat of the passage. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 10, 6 through 11. Now, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after things evil as they also lusted and do not become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happen to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages has come. Now this section is bookended by a phrase. Now these things became our examples. Now all these things happened to them as examples. You see it? And then the middle is the pictures. That word... They became, they came into being, right? They did these things, and it, it became an example that God wrote down. Now just imagine if all your mistakes in your life were written down for everybody else to read. All right, that's where we are. There are examples, and this is exactly what Brother Paul preached some years ago. Don't let your life be an example of what not to do. Right? These are examples of what not to do. And at the other end, they came to be examples, right? It came about, it happened that they were examples. There's the bookend. That word examples is tupas. It's a word that we get typed from. It means the impress of a blow, like a signet ring, right? It leaves a mark. That stays. It's a form or a mold. It's an outline or a figure. It's typology of the Old Testament, right? So you look at these examples, the ones he's talking about here, and you see types. You see a person who complains, a person who resists God, a person who is caught in sexual immorality, etc. You go to the book of Proverbs and you see the righteous man, the wise man, the fool, the unrighteous man, the sexually immoral. And, and 
You know, it's the same mentality that, that Solomon and other writers of Proverbs wrote in the wisdom books to highlight the pictures and to learn the lessons from these pictures. Moses showed you all the failings, right? Solomon shows you both failings and goodness, right? He at least gave you the positive side of this. And, and not only did they happen, but the Spirit wrote them down. See them. Know them. Don't be some of them and be the other ones. Right? Learn the negative and the positive here. And all of this was to Nusea. Remember I said at the beginning, Agnoeo? I don't want you to be unaware. Same kind of cl clump of words. Nutheo means to teach, to admonish, to warn, to instruct, to impart understanding, to set right, to lay it on the heart. Right? He didn't want us to be unaware and calls Paul says that all these things are to make us aware. It's to discipline and correct us. It's to show us wrong things, and I'm going to raise up some right things from this passage that aren't specifically stated. So what are the wrong things? Well, in verse 6, here's, here's what Paul exhorts. Be not one who desires evil things. Here's the list, right? Don't be one who seeks after evil things, who wants evil things. Do not become idolaters. Idolaters, we think of in the ancient world that they bowed down before something made of gold or wood or whatever. In reality, they formed an idol. They said a special prayer to open the idol and they invited their God to live in the idol so that he would be with them. Right? In their presence. Dwelling with them so that they could talk to him and they could call upon him. They worshiped dumb idols because there's no God behind it. They were worshiping demons, inviting fallen angels to rule their lives. We worship the true and living God. He's given us his word. So don't be idolaters. Anything that you put confidence in for something that only the one true living God can give you is an idol in your life. My job is not my sustenance. God is my sustenance. My retirement fund will not save me and support me through in retirement. God will support support me through in my retirement, and he may perhaps use my retirement fund or not, given the way the economy goes. Food is not my life and sustenance. God's word is my life and sustenance. Get the picture? There's a lot of things, especially in our Western culture, that we make little g-gods and we upset him. You know what yours are. I'm sure that they've already come to mind. Don't become idolaters. Don't commit fornication or sexual immorality. God has a place for sexuality. It's in a covenant relationship between one man and one woman for life. When one of them dies, the person is free to marry somebody else. And then you get into the matter of divorce, and we could have a really good argument there. And I'm, you know, there's different opinions. As many opinions, as, as many people as there are opinions, and vice versa. Right? Best not to be divorced. Best to hold it together. Don't tempt or test. Christ. They tested God. No, no, we don't want to go up. 
we don't want to go up. All right, we'll go up now. No, you won't. You're going to the desert now. And the last one, way, way easier than all the others, don't mutter, murmur, or complain. That word is literally a If I want to do that, I'll do that, regardless of what my wife says. Right? There's one comedian who said that recently. It's in my head. Now, there are positive admonitions that aren't clear in the text. The positive admonitions are to live under the cloud subject to Messiah's reign in your life to feast on the bread of life, the word of God, to drink deeply of the living water that the Spirit gives you, and to walk in the newness of life through Messiah. Now, that's not directly stated here, but the comparisons are what we have in our covenant with Christ. Live in the covenant. Don't go back to the old covenant. We're not under the old covenant. The Old Covenant was replaced by the New Covenant, which is why the, the, the book, the Greek book that we call the New Testament, that literally means New Covenant. And realize that the New Covenant has its footings and foundation in the Old Covenant. All right, so now we get to the, the really cool place. Here's the promise. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man, but God is faithful. Amen? Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Those who think, the ones who are thinking or seem, could be either. They're either thinking that they stand or they seem to be standing. It says, blepo. Watch! Watch! As in, watch out! Watch lest you fall. The ones who are thinking that they are standing should watch that they don't fall. Because you know what? You can fall. Look at David and Bathsheba. How would you like that epitaph on your tombstone? And, and actually, David did a bunch of things wrong, but that God is... God said that's the one sin about David, that he did that. That he committed adultery and then he killed the husband with the sword of the Philistine. God forgave him. David should have been stoned to death. So watch out. You could be walk walking on your housetop and see something and you fall. That's what happened to David. Another example. And then he says, no temptation has taken you, literally has seized you. There is, therefore, no temptation has overtaken you except what's common to man, right? All men experience temptation, all men and ladies, we want to be gender specific, all mankind experience temptation. Your temptation is no different than their temptation. Now, my temptation and your temptation may be on different sins, but you can find other people on the earth that have your temptation. And I can find other people on the earth that have my temptation. Temptation is common. We have an enemy. Actually, we have three enemies, and one of them lives with us, called our flesh. The world system is another one, and the adversary, Hasatan, the, the serpent, is another enemy, right? And they work together collaboratively. 
The world shows you an image and your body goes, oh, I know what that is. Let's go over here. Right? Nothing that comes upon you to seize you is common, is, is unique rather. It's all common. No temptation has seized you except which is common to all men. But God is faithful. Here's but is one of those comparative particles, right? It's going to give you opposite. God is faithful. You're, in, you're being tempted. You're being tempted like everyone else. God is faithful. Now, I know that God is faithful, but God is faithful in a very specific way here, right? He said, with the tempta- he will, with the temptation, also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He won't let you be tempted above your ability. You know what that says? That says that when you sin, you're deciding to sin. Because he says that he won't tempt you beyond your ability. And we'll get to some caveats here, right? With the temptation, he'll make a way of escape. That you may be able to bear it. That you may be able to stand up against the onslaught for your soul. You're in a battle when you're in temptation. The enemy's coming against you, whether it's the enemy in your heart or the enemy that's swimming around you in the world or Hasatan. Right? And honestly, most of us probably don't warrant the focus of Hasatan. Honest, let's be honest about that. I'm insignificant. Hitler, on the other terms, hmm, I think he was a focus there, right? A tool. So, God's going to be faithful. He won't let you tempt it above it you're able. When you fall in sin, you've chosen to. You don't have to. It's not inevitable. And he'll make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it, that you may be able to push it away, that you may be able to to stand instead of fall. Now, here's the thing. That verse sounds like, I'm going to walk as I want to walk, and I'm going to get a temptation, and God's going to always save me. God will not always save you. If you're not reading His Word and you haven't read it for six months, chances are you're not going to have the tools to fight that temptation. Right? Now, I want you to think about Joseph. Pharaoh had a dream. Joseph was in prison, and God reminded, after forgetting about him, oh, there's this guy, this Hebrew in prison who can interpret dreams. And they get him out, they clean him up, they shave him, they bring him to Pharaoh. He was... He was um, imprisoned by Potiphar, the captain of the guard, because he was accused of trying to rape Potiphar's wife. And he stood in front of Pharaoh, and he interprets the dream. Oh, Pharaoh, God's telling you the same thing in both dreams. You're going to have seven years of plenty, and then you're going to have seven years of famine, that's going to make that's going to be so bad you're going to forget that you had 7 years of plenty hey you should do this <laughs> so i'm just spitballing this pharaoh maybe you should gather you know 20% of all the grain for the next 7 years and store it up and let nobody touch it and then you'll have food to 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 ride through the famine and the, and the devastation upon your um your country And Pharaoh goes, the spirit of the God is in this guy. I think he should be the guy. (laughs) And Joseph is raised up as prime minister. Now I bring that picture to you because Joseph had to implement that plan. Seven years of hard labor saying, no, 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 you got got a 20% tax. It's got to go into the vault, 20% into the vault, the rest you can live on, 20% into the vault, right? So that they had a treasure 
to ride out the storm. How much of your life are you neglecting to store up things in your life to weather the storm? Now this does not belay that God, this does not say to us that God is unable to save you miraculously in a situation. He is. But when God tells you over and over, read my word, study my word, memorize my word, in it is wisdom, in it is knowledge. Just look at Proverbs. It tells you how to avoid the immoral woman. It tells you how to be righteous and what a fool looks like, right? So that you train yourself not to be a fool and to be righteous, right? It's about Praxis, there's two wonderful words, right? Orthodoxy, right belief, and orthopraxy. This word gives us orthodoxy, and we're supposed to take that and make it into orthopraxy, right living. And that's what this is about. So it tells us things like, you know, if, you're, if, if you get angry... You need to deal with your anger. You need to not let it go down, right? And it says don't let it go, the sun go down on it. But in reality, in human relations, relations, sometimes you need to cool off before you have the conversation that you need to have because if you do it that day, it's going to just get worse. Like you're going to pour kerosene on it. But if you don't deal with it, then it becomes bitterness. And bitterness rots in your soul. Right? There's all kinds of stuff like this in Scripture. So there's the pictures, right? I'm giving you pictures and giving you color commentary. I, you can go back and reread Exodus and see a whole bunch more now. And you can read Proverbs and understand that those Proverbs are speaking, speaking to not only what I do today, but what I, I make as habits in my life, throughout my life. Roman talks a lot about get paying his debt down and finally being able to get himself in more debt, buying a house. <laughs> Sorry, brother. It's great to have no debt. And I, Yvonne and I walked through, it was at least a decade, right, hon? Where we were Spartan until we finally only had the mortgage. And we in, my, in our life continued to pay and continued to pay and finally we're mortgage-less, which is wonderful. Now the economy sucks. Oh, well. <laughs> um, so make them patterns. Make them habits. Somebody said, I don't remember where I got this. I've seen it recently. It takes a thousand times of doing something to make it a habit. And it takes 10 times of not doing it to break the habit. So I leave you with a question. How is your walk in him? That's the question. And Micah 6.8, I don't have this as a slide, exhorts us that our whole lot in life is to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. He's leading us, just like he led the, the Israelites. We have a promised land that we will come to. It's called Messiah's kingdom when he returns and sits on the throne of David, the throne of his glory for a thousand years, right? So how are you walking with him? Are you eating the word? Are you doing the word? He calls us sheep, not a flattering title. You know how sheep go astray? Anybody? Mm. Sheep go astray one blade of grass at a time. Oh, there's another one. Well, there's another one. And pretty soon the shepherd's way over there somewhere, right? Are you staying close to the shepherd or are you being led away into danger? He, Messiah, is the word of God, and his spirit has given us a written record besides that. Are you in the word? Are you reading it regularly, even daily? Are you meditating on it? Are you memorizing it? 
if you're not. And memorizing is hard. As you get older, it's even harder, right? At work, I'm a, I'm a security guy, IT security guy. Make long passwords, right? Here's something that'll help you memorize God's word, right? They say take a phrase. So I tell you, take a verse of scripture, right? Like the one that we're talking about. Use the reference like 1CO10. 13, colon 13. Oh, you got lots of, lots of characters there, so you have, you know, it's harder to crack. And then take the first word of every sentence, whether it's small or capital, and use that as your password, right? So um, let me look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Your password could be 1CO10, colon 13, N-T-H-O-U-E-S-A, I-C-T-M. No temptation is common to man. Right? And there's a password. And every time you type it, say the verse. Now you have no excuse for having good passwords and studying and memorizing God's word. Right? Told a little bit of humor. <laughs> but I'm serious, actually. Do you see yourself in the situation in the examples or types of Scripture? Do you read that and go, oh, that's me. I'm such a fool. Or do you only see yourself in the good pictures of Scripture? Do you think that you're standing, that you're doing well, when actually you're going to fall? It's very important that we have fellowship and we speak truth into each other's lives. As I said in, in, in small groups this morning, when sin is entrenched in your life, it cloaks itself. It's like a Romulan, for those of you who like Star Trek. It's camouflaged with the right camouflage for the environment, right? You, you, it's hard to see. But you know what? Your brother, who's overcome it, can go, that idiot, he's living in sin. And he needs to come alongside you and, hey, don't you see this? Now, there's a struggle there because, you know, how dare you say that, right? You need to be humble and receive it and go back and think about your life. Be courageous and, so, and ask, hey, can you give me an example of how you see that in my life? Because I can't see it. And then be even more courageous. Can you help me break this habit? Remember his promise. He promises a way of escape. Are you humble enough to follow his way of escape? And some of the way of escape is habit forming. Right? Way more of escaping the problem is habit-forming than for God bringing you to the box canyon at the Red Sea and parting the sea in front of you. If you're looking for God to rescue that in that way all the time, you're going to be really sadly dis disappointed. Right? He did miracles for a reason, to highlight something, to make a point. And in that one, he not only had, had struck Pharaoh because he killed his son, but he obliterated Pharaoh's army. And then he comes to the New Testament and goes, you know, I should use the same thing on my, uh, uh, in, in showing you who I am, so I'm going to let my son be killed, and I'm going to bring him back because Pharaoh's son was killed, and he couldn't bring him back because he was no god. And I will show you that I'm God. And then, then the question looking forward is, what kind of example are you? What kind of type are you to the ones coming behind you? Right? Because someone led you to Christ and you're following them. You're following our pastor's teaching. You're following, hopefully, what I'm telling you today. And there's other people watching you back here that you may not even know. Those of you who have kids, you know. They see everything. Right? What example are you being to them? Because 
You know, the message comes to us not so that we can keep it and, and hold it and never let it go. The whole point of the message is so that we take it, we eat it, and it becomes part of us, and we give it away. Which is the whole point why I say, hey, come to Shalom New York with us. So you can give it away. 